I look back at GST, demonetization, and the attempt to replicate India's established high-quality colleges on today's episode. Coming right up. Hi and welcome. This is the Attention Please podcast, episode 19, right here on Talking Stuff Network. We are recording this on the 8th of December, 2018. This is my favorite time of the year and I don't necessarily mean the end of the year or holidays but elections I got my finger inked and uh, I'm taking Tuesday off to watch my favorite sport which is Polster Showdown and to tide me through till then we of course have Arnab who will also introduce our very special guest for today's podcast so let's get to it without delay hey Arnab I know you're just as excited about today's episode as I am yes I am I'm not so excited about the elections though uh but uh but but i know that that that, that you are a telangana voter am i correct yes yes i am of course so uh today today again before i start i would like to thank and i forgot last week to thank uh one of my patrons there's a new patron utsav uh so i wanted to thank utsav uh for those of you who i say this every uh, the start of every podcast i have a patreon page link will be down in uh down below the podcast where we solicit uh, monthly donations it would be good if you do that it encourages me as a podcaster uh, plus uh, as i said last time it ultimately goes into my database of paid subscribers and that will hopefully one day one day once upon a some day it will allow me to be able to more effectively monetize this podcast if it ever gets there anyways getting that out of the way today we have a special guest and i say that every time we have a special guest but this time uh, we have a very special guest just to qualify that special so the our guest today is uh, dr alok ray uh, he was he's a retired professor from indian institute of management calcutta uh, many of many of my listeners and readers have have been his students and uh, i have heard many times uh, that again he has another he has another identity he's my father uh so he's visiting us now in the US so i thought it'd be a good good time to have him on this show so for those of you who know both my father and me we are very much unlike each other and that's because you haven't seen my mother as i like to say so i i take after my mother in terms of my aggressiveness my but uh, my father has contributed a lot to not so much in the evolution of my political consciousness that's kind of organically grown i would say but more in terms of uh, my reading books my desire to write my father writes he's he's written articles uh, for newspapers all his life he used to write for telegraph i don't know if he still does but he has a column in hindu business line where he writes about mostly write up writes about economics because he's a professor in economics unlike me Uh, my dad usually typically writes only on things he knows i like to write on things which i absolutely do not know so without further ado thank you baba for being on this show thank you <laughs> okay <laughs> that means my father is happy to be on this show uh so so let's start this is this is election season i think the, the official uh, election 2019 season is kicked off and as i was watching uh, uh, india today tv india today with with my father just now before this show started i was watching obviously my favorite journalist of all time rajdeep sardesai the manhattan brawler and uh, he was they they were projecting the exit polls and the exit polls again it's coming from this, uh, mr sardesai's channel and some some of it is always his wishful thinking but it just seemed this time that uh, the elections don't seem to be going that well for the bjp it's most likely i think that's even even the most ardent bjp supporters have reconciled themselves to the fact that they're going to be losing rajasthan uh whether they're going to be losing it to pilot or uh, to shekhawat of course that is the only point of suspense uh madhya pradesh looks like it's going to go down uh, to quote ravish to quote ravishasti to the wire and uh, chatisgarh i guess is is also out of bjp's hands uh and telangana was never was never in his hands so Uh, so so vikram what do you think about telangana being being a telangana resident how do you think it's going to play out well it's it's just going to give uh, trs and ksr a big bargaining chip right so uh, i'm sure he's going to make a, <laughs> make the most of it you, you mean you mean in the mahagathbandhan 
<laughs> the Mahagathbandhan actually has uh, two bitter rivals, right? So it's got Congress and uh, Chandrababu Naidu, who's always criticized them. Uh, they might not do that well, or uh, I don't know, at least as, as far as the exit polls uh, say. But uh, li- like you said, this is just the, like people are saying, this is the semifinals. So uh, right. <laughs> we'll have to see what happens in, in the next six months. But it's definitely the, the, the sheen of BJP's all-conquering juggernaut. And I'm, I guess I'm mixing my metaphors here. But the juggernaut does seem to have kind of ground to a halt. So that's, which is a perfect segue into my question to my father, which is, uh, I want to just context, I, I want to keep this on economics. I'm not going to get into the politics of it. But how would you compare the UPA government's purely in terms of economic performance versus the current Modi government with, of course, with special reference to de- demonetization and GST? <clears throat> yeah, uh, so let, let, let's for the, first get the record straight here. Okay. India is currently the fastest growing big economy in the world. Now, that's an achievement, no doubt about that. And justifiably, both uh, the Congress regime and the Modi regime can take some credit for that. Let me explain why. See, the fastest growing phase of Indian economy for over a number of years actually took place in UPA regime. That was between 2003 to 2008 period. 2003 was NDA, right? Still? Yeah, no, no, no. I think 2003 to 8 was not. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, so, and uh, the average growth rate was more than 8.5. It was actually in the neighborhood of 9%. Currently, India is growing at the rate of around 7.3. So this is not really, even though India is now the fastest growing big economy in the world, it is not so much because India is running fastest, but China has slowed down. So, so, so just one thing, let me yeah, interrupt you here yeah, for a while. Yeah. So again, I'm not an econ- uh, I, I have no background in economics, yeah, yeah. but when you say nine, when you are small, mm-hmm. if you, your percentage growth is going to be larger, right? The US never shows that high amount of growth because its base is huge, right? Agreed. Agreed. But if you take that logic, then India should be growing fastest all the time. But that does not happen, right? So that is one of the things that, generally speaking, less developed countries, or we sometimes call it developing countries to sound better, okay, have an advantage. This is called the advantage of being backward. So you start from a low base, your technology, everything is, is given. I mean, you can always copy technology from others, etc. So that gives them the advantage. But just because there are advantages does not mean that all countries can equally seize them at every moment of time. Because otherwise, India, China, and all the less developed countries would have been growing much, much faster all the time. But it doesn't happen. Therefore, there are some high growth phases. There are some low growth phases. Sometimes the causes could be domestic. But sometimes it could be just beyond your control. Like it could be that oil prices oil went prices. up or went down, or there's a global recession, or there's a global trade war or whatever. So there are circumstances beyond your control, but there are also certain circumstances which are within your control. So whatever it is, uh, given that there are certain external factors over which you don't have any control, uh, all governments want to take some credit when growth is high, and they take the flak when Sure. So, so are you trying to say that both the UPA government and the Modi government have more or less done similarly? You would give them both B plus if they were taking your yeah, course. But, 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 but again, the point is this, that you see, UPA has one advantage in terms of data is that this is not just a one year thing or two year thing. This for 2003 to 2008, it's a fairly long period. But again, the thing is that- But that's that, UPA 1, right? UPA 1. Yeah. UPA 1 and then I think UPA, UPA 2 uh, started 1. It's this roughly. Uh, they got voted out 30, in 2014. So. so it has to be five years before that. Yes. Is. Okay. So UPA one, actually UPA one. UPA one's performance is much better than UPA two's performance. Everybody knows. Okay. And at that time, there was also a global uh, boom and all that. And 2008 is a landmark period because then the so-called great global recession started. So all countries actually slowed down, including India. But India recovered actually much faster. That is also true. Was that because India was not that 
locally yes, integrated, globally into integrated, the, integrated into the community yeah, so that yeah. they were not like exactly. bad bad loans being taken particularly, by particularly, particularly the financial system was not integrated the banking system was more not insulated from external so I mean, our main enemy were the mullahs of the world. We were not investing in like junk housing, bo- yes, junk housing exactly, bonds over exactly. here in the US. Yes. Unlike even Iceland or some yes. other country. Okay. So, so that is something which you have to remember. Therefore, you can say, well, currently India is the fastest growing economy. So India said, oh, in, in our time, Modi can say India is the fastest growing economy. The nuclear government said, no, but the fastest growth phase was in our time. And it is not so much because... Uh, you are growing faster, but China has slowed down. So one can always argue this way or that way. So you can basically say that, well, <laughs> there's nothing much to choose between these two in this sense. I mean, So both get B plus. Okay. If you want to put it that way. Okay. Both get B plus. Okay. okay. But at the same time, you must remember, you have to put this into context because I have also seen some people getting ecstatic that India's GDP is now the fastest, I mean, the fifth biggest we have surpassed France, etc. Okay. You see, this is not an independent achievement. You must remember, if you were running faster than other people for a sufficiently longer period of time, that even though you have started from a point much behind, eventually you will be taking over everybody. All, all that is required is that you have to be running faster for a sufficiently long period of time. There lies actually the, you can say, that the, the, the question mark. So, so just to just to deconstruct this, what you're saying is, it's like a long distance race. Yes. India has kind of burst off the blocks. So obviously, it is going to run faster than those who have been yes. running three laps, four laps, because they are kind of conserving their energy, like the the Americas of the world. And India is like bursting out. No, no. But will it be able to sustain that? Yeah. Is that your question? Uh, sustain that. that. That is that is the main thing. And usually, if you look at history, you see, like. Japan at one period of time. Usually, this very fast-growing phase does not last for more than two decades or two and a half decades. You see, that has been. So, if you can do it for two decades, I yeah, think yeah, we will be more than happy. More, more than happy. More than more happy. Than happy. And India and we will be surpassing. Say, France, we have already surpassed. UK, we have almost done it. So, there are only Japan, uh, USA, and China. But hold on, let okay. me just interrupt you. On and Germany, one. Germany. Also. We will come back to demo and GST. But people will say that it really doesn't matter because these numbers don't ma- matter to the common people. We still yeah. have more poor people. Exactly. exactly. That's why people are emigrating from India to sure, England, sure, sure. not from England sure. to India. Actually, that, that is my main point. That Let's not focus too much on the aggregate GDP. Yeah. Because if you're a big country, too much of population, in any case, your total GDP, is, other things depending, the same will be higher. Much, much, much more important than per capita GDP. Okay. So there... We are far, far behind, not only of these advanced Western economies, but even we are about one fifth of China's. Okay, so we have, we have still have long way to go. I mean, that is. Something. But you, but but you're still not saying if UPA is better than because that's what everybody's interested in. Okay, and they want to know who did better and who no, did worse. I, I, actually, and, the, and saying both did the same is a cop out. So you have to say who did better. Okay, I, I would, I would rather, rather, rather put it, put it this way that that. Uh, <laughs> that UPA 1 did certainly better than this, UPA, not UPA 2, because during UPA 2, particularly in the last two, three years, growth slowed down because of the domestic scams, the so-called policy paralysis, and all that. So you can say, well, even within, within UPA, you have to make a distinction between UPA 1 okay. and UPA 2. So if you compare UPA 1's performance is somewhat better than, let us say, this current Modi regime's thing, uh, UPA2's performance is somewhat worse. I'd rather summarize it. So, uh, Prof. Prof. there have been a lot of articles, right, on the revised GDP formula and how they've been designed to make the current government look better. So, I mean, my question actually was that uh, I assume that these formulas were usually uh, universally agreed upon, right, mathematical formulas. So, can one really just change this willy-nilly and uh, is this something which is done regularly even by previous governments? Actually, if you remember, the first revision of GDP data was done by the current uh, NDA government, and that actually made the growth rate go up for UPA. <laughs> so, 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 so that's why I might say no. This is this is not not something which is made up. This is a pure 
uh, say statistical revision and sometimes what is happening is this that uh, and generally uh, i i know of people like sekoshik bashu and other people i mean who are not really aligned with any particular thing and they generally believe that no india does not fudge data Oshibas is not aligned with any political. No, he, he takes no, 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 very no. partisan political no, no, no. stances, as I've seen. Whatever it is, but you see, fudging data, these things that India does not deliberately, no, no. unlike unlike China, India does not deliberately fudge data. No, I, Now, I, I think Vikram is not saying that we are fudging data. Is we are just juggling with numbers to make something look better no. than they is by changing exactly, the model. Yeah. But ch changing the model again, it means you see, when you change the model, then the then the Data of the entire series actually changes. It is not that one no, or two true. years data actually goes up. You see, therefore the whole thing is revised for the last ten, fifteen years, kind of thing. I know, but what Vikram is saying that because of the revision, it just happens to be that the UPA government's growth rate has gone down and the NDA government's growth rate has gone up. And is there, is that the right thing to do? Or oh well, uh, it's like you know, we all know mathematics. Yeah, but 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 even after, let us say, juggling or whatever it is, but still, this basic thing that UPA one's performance is better than the Modi that stands out, and UPA two's is worse than this will stand out, even though the absolute numbers might might go up and down a little bit this way that way. Okay, so 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 I would say this basic picture that I drew will not change very much, even if which of a series of data okay. you take. Okay. Because the other things are more technical. I, I don't think your readers uh, or your listeners would be interested. So, in so things. here's what my listeners are absolutely interested in: is yeah. demonetization and yes. and, and okay. GST. Exactly. I mean, was it? I think I think most even even hardcore BJP supporters now at least privately at least will say <laughs> that demonetization didn't idea. work. <laughs> okay, they won't say it's a bad idea because that means that it was an idea to begin with, but that it didn't work. Didn't work. That it might have been a good idea, but ultimately it didn't work. So, and and the critics say it's a bad idea. It was a horrible idea. We said it from day one, like Mamata Banerjee. She okay. said it yeah. from day one. So, what do you feel okay. dispassionately ab yes. about de about demonetization? Yes. Now that it's been two years, no, yeah, a yeah. year or something. Anyway, uh, I think I did write pieces when it started, so no one can say that I'm really talking with the benefit of hindsight here. So, what I said uh, is basically this. See, first we have to make a distinction between an economy called stock and flow. You see, most of the black wealth, which is a stock, okay, okay, is held not in the form of domestic currency, real estate, I guess, real estate, then gold, diamonds, and then foreign exchange, and even assets held abroad. All right. Only about five to eight percent of this wealth, is this so-called black wealth, is held in domestics. So even under the best case scenario, all you could touch by demonetization would be the five to eight percent. In any case, you could not touch more than that. That is the first point you have to remember. That is the best case scenario. And then what happened was that even you could not even reach that, or you could not achieve that best case scenario because most of the money. the black money actually got converted into this new money in other people's other people you actually gave it to other people and they deposited it or you took the help of so called cooperative banks over which uh, i mean there was a lot of uh, things so essentially yeah, yeah so it was basically jugard out yeah but but at the same time i will say one thing which is not always uh, said that the government now has a good amount of data which they can now use if they want to but the major problem is so the major question mark is do they want to use it or do, do they want to use it only selectively okay. that is the major thing but so what kind of data do you think yes, they have because now? they now know in which account how much money because in some cases it is a huge amount of money which has been deposited and you have heard of some names some even political figures i am not going to name it here you know some of these names right and there are good reasons to believe that yes some of them did deposit a large amount of money through their cooperative banks and other things over which there was much less control much less information and all that okay so so but now the question is and i have heard from some insiders and some big company people they are very much afraid that government now has a big amount of data 
and your big data analytics, etc., can be used to track many of these things. But now the question boils down to whether the government will <laughs> uh, does have the political will or whatever it is to use it, or even if it uses it, will use it selectively against political opponents or whoever is not going to give them sufficient funds or, or what. So, but that is one big thing which has come out. And there has been a huge increase in the number of the income tax. Yes, I was. How, how do you correlate that with this? Is it just, is it, and many people say this, so I just want to see whether you think so. Is it many people say that the demonetization was symbolic, that what Modi was trying to do was say that there, there is no, there is nowhere that I won't go. I will take radical steps to root out corruption. And that, the fear that they, he could do anything that he's basically gone maverick is making people now pay more in tax. I, I don't know. Do, do you think that is the reason? No, I, I don't think that was the reason. But they are basically changing goalposts. I mean, now they're saying all kinds of things that all oh, digitization was a thing. I want, uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, but but right now, before you yeah, said that income the, tax, that the yeah. income tax yes, collection yes, has gone up, okay. how do you correlate that to? Yes, certainly, certainly. I think one of the main thing is this: that you see. Uh, the income tax rate for the first income slab, that's between 2.5 lakhs to 5 lakhs, mm -hmm. that has been lowered. It has been made 5%, which is a very small figure. So that has induced many people, and no questions are being asked, actually. Previously, one of the major problems for many people, when you first file the income tax, you, they used to be scrutinized a huge lot. So mm -hmm. your first time, that's why many people are very reluctant to start filing their income tax. They did not want to go into the tax net. But now that kind of harassment has stopped for most of the, you could say, people whose income is below 5 lakhs or 8 lakhs. I mean, they don't bother about those people anymore. So that has induced many people I know to file their income tax, pay a small amount of tax, right? And also under the Indian tax laws, there are also various other kinds of exemptions also which you can make use of. Like you can invest up to 1.5 lakhs in a PPF and various other kinds of schemes. So actually, effectively, even if you're earning up to 5 lakhs, you can basically pay zero income tax. But, but hold on. But how is this related to demonetization? This is something like if they lower fear. the tax bracket, they reduce the fear. Some people still feel it because, as I said, they have the information now in many cases because many of the bank accounts, etc., Many of the things have been, it have been other links, okay, everything taken together, they can track down some of your income if they want to. Whether they are going to do it, in, nobody, nobody knows. And in any case, they are saying that we are not going to go after the small people. I mean, only focus on big things, big people are satisfied. But still, there is little amount of fear in the minds of, I don't know how long this will last because it all depends upon whether some big cases are publicized, whether, I mean, because now what has happened is that in terms of real estate, again, it seems, I now see nowadays, I mean, there was a lull in real estate activities. Oh, yes. But now a newspaper, first pages, first three pages, a huge ads. So it seems that things are coming back to the usual thing. Of now course. people are saying, oh, that was just a one-time affair. And now they have learned the lesson. There's a bitter lesson that this has become a failure. So at least this Modi government, nobody's going to touch it. I try it for another 10, 15 years. Nobody's going to. And definitely, so we are very the, safe. and definitely the Congress government is not going to, not do, not it. Not going to do anything on, okay. on, on corruption. Therefore, it is now business usual. Okay. That, that, that and makes sense. And, 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 and there's something which I would like to mention. It's, it's kind of germane to this is that the way music piracy was controlled. Music piracy used to be a huge thing in the early 2000s. And the reason for that was, and so, so the music industry basically went at the problem in two ways. One was they went for basically shock and awe. So they, they found people who were pirating songs and they put enormous amount of fines on them. A mm -hmm. few people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not a lot. And some of these people were like housewives. They, 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 they were just streaming a lot of songs. Mm -hmm. So they went after them and fined them like thousands of dollars per song that they had, that they had basically allowed other people to pirate. But at the same time, what the music industry did was in, in the early 2000s, you could only buy one CD or cassette. So you would have to pay like $16 here to buy a CD for basically one song that you wanted to hear. Right. So then they, with Apple, they just changed the pricing model. So you could buy songs for 99 cents. Mm -hmm. Now you have like basically streaming models where you don't even buy songs. 
because after some time, why do you want, you don't listen to the same song, right? You get bored of it. So they sell streaming services. So streaming services, you pay a monthly fee, can listen to unlimited number of songs. Mm -hmm. So now it's basically two things. Firstly is the fear of piracy and then low cost alternatives. And now people don't feel yeah. that they have to buy it. It's okay. I'll pay 10 bucks. I'll listen to all exactly. the music I want. Why should I even go through that? Yeah, the same thing has happened in the income tax. So if I yes. can pay 5% right. or let us say some uh, 3000 rupees or something, I mean, and I buy my piece. That's the I strategy. Have, I don't yeah. think that people in general, I mean, leave aside the Malayas of the world yeah, who have an yeah, army of yeah, lawyers. They exactly. know that most people don't want to go to exactly. court. They get, they get shit scared if they get exactly. a letter from, exactly. letter from the government. Exactly. So they would rather pay a little bit, but again, it's a question of incentives. If your tax rate is like 70%, exactly. then yes, there is an incentive not to, not to and, even and, get into the tax. And, and other thing is that somehow the finance minister or Jaitley and other people have been able to assure the people that there will not be harassment for small people. I mean, and that is not actually happening. I know. I mean, a lot of people, but for the first time, they're they are submitting the income tax return, etc. No questions are being asked. They're getting their refund automatically. That's the, nothing is happening. So people are fairly happy. They're, okay, I'll pay a little bit of tax and sleep well. Then. That's all. And before we move on to our next topic, a quick word from our sponsor. We'll see you on the other side of this commercial break. Moving on, GST. Yeah. Because GST was originally... Uh, Congress, yes. Manmohan Singh, Rahul Gandhi thing. Then of course, Modi and the politicians always do that. They'll take the previous yeah. government schemes and they'll say we did it. So that's, that's, that's par for the course. Mm. But then you found, you had this, this amazing thing where the Congress government, then, then the Congress opposition then went after BJP, which mm. is also par for the course. That also happens. I remember there was an episode of Yes Minister where uh, I don't know, we used to yes, see as yes, minister. Yes, sure, so sure. what, what happened I was that, so, so the minister had become minister then. Yes, right. And uh, then he was going to, so there was a petition on something mm -hmm. and, he, and Humphrey was telling him to bury it. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the episode, they wheel this petition in, yeah. which has like this high and this, yes. and he says, which person, which minister, which MP started this? And they say, you did. <laughs> you were <laughs> the guy who started this yeah. when you were in the opposition. That's right. Now, this, this is one of the major, I mean, major problem of Indian democracy is that the kind of so-called reforms which the government, by the political party in power, supports, and the moment they go to the opposition, they will oppose it. I mean, that that, that has been that has been the case uh, I mean, throughout, you can say, Indian uh, democratic history or whatever. Okay. Anyway, so now coming to the GST, what is what what okay. is the Congress actually claiming that the the UPA that the that uh, NDA did wrong? And that they would okay. have done different. Okay. Now, here, like, there are main thing. I think, one or two. I mean, one major thing is that, oh, they, you have got some five or six, seven, seven rates. We could, have, we could have simplified this thing. There would have been three rates, etc. But I doubt it very much. If they were in power, <laughs> they also would have got at least five, six, seven. Because given the complexity of Indian's economy, people at many different stages of income, and then you need to subsidize different groups of people and all that, you see, it cannot have. And Congress has never been a party for simplification. If you yes. can, if, if the best you can say about Congress is they've never been one for reduced red tape. Yeah. So another, another thing that they were talking about, but I'm sure I mean, the senior people, like certainly Manmohan Singh as an economist knows that they would actually even uh, facing that there should be some kind of a constitutional, whatever, amendment or constitutional provision that this GST rate will not be above this. Now, you cannot do this. I mean, you cannot just put a limit on a tax rate and put it in part of the constitution. I mean, you, you cannot do that. I mean, because you will have to leave it open. I mean, so they said, oh, it cannot be above certain rate and that has to be written into the constitution and all that. And this government objected. And uh, I know when Manmohan Singh objected, I mean, uh, <laughs> there have been lots of evidence on that, that money, he never said that that would be done. There were only Rahul Gandhi and some other people say Manmohan Singh never said that because he knows it cannot be done. No economist would ever suggest that. Now, as an idea, I think this is a very good idea. This is one of the possibly uh, far-reaching uh, what's it, an economic reform, one of the most important and far-reaching economic reforms that have been conducted in the post-independence India, you can say. 
yeah, now the timing and other things, of course, can always be questioned. One can always say you should be better prepared. Yes, I can also argue, and I have argued in one of my pieces that perhaps what they could have done was that they could have tried out as a, a, some kind of a pilot project. Phase rollout. So in, in one small area, maybe in one metropolitan city or one part, you could have tried out and see. I mean, certainly there will be lots of teething troubles, etc. With any kind of system first put into place, and I know even the income tax system that you have, there have been lots of, uh, you see, hitches uh, that, has, that has happened over the years, and there has, many of these things have been sorted out. So it takes time. So possibly some of the troubles would have been somewhat less, it would not have been eliminated, if they started on a very small scale, and then see what are the problems, and, the type, and then expand it. But then as uh, Arvind Subramaniam, I, I read, an interview or in Subramaniam and some IMF journal where this question has been put. What he said was this, yeah, that sounds very good in theory. If I was out of government and I was an economist, I would have also said the same thing. But now being part of the government, I know things don't work that way. There is sometimes a good time politically when you have to seize the opportunity. Even the economist knows as not, a, there is no such thing as the best time in politics. Because in politics, there is sometimes, because you see, they could not have postponed it very much. They would have been very elections. close to the general elections, etc. So that was possibly the best time politically to do it. And he said that always, if you try to introduce such a big and complicated thing, nationwide thing, a big thing, because you are subsuming so many taxes into one thing. I mean, so, so there is bound to be lots of teething problems. And you have, have been there. In any case, whenever you start it, therefore it's better to start it. But what is important is that you must have a system in place which can quickly take care of some of the problems which would arise in the process so that people do not suffer a lot. That is process. a problem that I've seen with governments all across the world. Now, when I was here in the US, they rolled out healthcare Obamacare. The first day they rolled out Obamacare, the, their website crashed instantly. Yeah. And the entire IT system, the entire system was full of bugs. Now, this happened in 2008, which is about, you know, it's almost 10 years now. But even in that day and age, there was no reason why that should have happened. Amazon and everybody was were maintaining servers at internet scale and they never collapsed. So it was not a question that this could not technically be done, but it's just that it's just the way government works, that even though in the US, it's a little bit more structured than it's in India. But the moment registration opened, the, the website yeah, crashed. But, but, they couldn't even put up with that. But let, let, let me tell you this. You see, say, the computerization of uh, banks, etc., have taken place for now, now decades now in India. But even now, almost every week, I go to some bank, I have bank accounts in a number of places. There is a crash. If you go there, you would have to withdraw, and they say, you cannot withdraw money. There is a system failure. Almost every week this thing is happening. So even though, I mean, Indian IT software engineers are uh, all over the world and they're setting up systems and apparently rectifying errors here and there. But even in India, you get this problem almost every week. And sometimes it, it, it takes place about two, three days together. People cannot withdraw any money. They cannot even get their balance from the bank. These things are happening. I mean, even in India, after several decades of bank computerization and all that. So, so that, that's, that, that's another kind of discussion and that I would say is more a question of resources. It's not that the technology does not yeah. exist. It's just I'm that sure. the banks just don't want to spend the money Possibly. that's needed in order to have a high quality system running. They just feel it's not worth it. That customers in any case not going to take their business elsewhere. Let things remain as they are. I think that ultimately that's market driven. If enough customers feel that the banking experience is so bad that they are willing to take their money away, they will also change. But 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 moving on yeah. uh, to the next topic. The other topic that I wanted to discuss with you because you have been a professor at uh, Indian Institute of Management, and this is you know over the years we have seen successive governments do this that they have opened AIMS and IIMs and IITs everywhere. So on one hand. There are many people who believe that this is a political move, a brand dilution, 
it takes the centers of excellence and just takes that label and puts it on random places and say, there, you have your IM there. It's more an electoral promise than anything else. And what it's doing is, besides, of course, the harm, it's basically diluting the brand of those who have gone to the Ahmedabads and the Bangalores and the Calcutta's and the Lucknow's. And then there are other people who say that that's a very elitist perspective, that in this day and age, uh, you have to, so they think that there are too many management institutes, there are too many uh, IIMs, there are too many IITs. Uh, but the counter logic to that, and I kind of fall in this camp, the, the latter camp, is that India is too big a country for there to not be an IIT and IIM in, in every state. Just like in the US, you have a state university. You have in every, it doesn't mean necessarily, and of course, there is a difference in standards between them. It's well ex established. University of California, Berkeley yeah. is different from state state university exactly. of New York at Stony Brook, where I went to. So I'll take my own example. So everybody knows it, but that doesn't mean that there should not be a state university in New York or there should not be an in, in Ohio. So that's not the really the problem. And we have to, we have a lot of people. So it's not that we are two smaller countries. So it, when, when I was, uh, in, when I was like, when I in Jadavpur University in those days, joint entrance ranks for engineering used to be till 2000. Now I hear it goes up to 10,000 or even more yes, than that. That's true. And I think that's necessary because in those days we were producing about from West Bengal, we were producing from the three or four engineering students, let's say 150, 170 computer science graduates. It was an artificial shortage. There's no reason. The, the country needs much more. Why are we producing 170? So what's wrong? So okay. what is your opinion on this? Okay. Uh, let me put it this way. Now, yes, there will be some brand dilution, but not really that much. I mean, I, you are you are you are right in that. I am Amitabh, but I am Amitabh. That's fine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That is that, the brand. That, that is precisely what I am saying. That the prospective employer will not simply be interested in knowing that I am from I am. The first question is which I am. Which campus? Which yeah. I am. Not only that, I know for sure, because I have been to some of these new IMs also, the the salary and the kind of jobs that the employers are offering there are certainly on a much lower scale than they are offering in the, say, IIM A, B, and C. That is accepted and all that. Okay. So employer know, the students also know. So so, so that, that part is accepted. So all IIMs are not the same, all IITs are not the same. Employers know that, students know that, everybody concerned knows that. So, so, so in that sense, you can say there is no brand dilution because now we have a hierarchy of IIMs, yes. IITs. Okay, that part is true. But then you can say, if I accept your logic, that why should we stop? Then should we get all polytechnics also IITs? I mean, because you say, well, how does it matter? You can call all IITs. There should be the minimum standards exactly. that should be, now, yeah. and the, the, but the minimum standards should be that minimum. Exactly. Now that that is where the question mark is: what should be the minimum standard? How to guarantee that and all that? There are lots of practical problems that are arising, as I have seen, because uh, you see, some of the new IIMs have been uh, put under the mentorship of some of the old IIMs for the first few years. Like I know IIM Rachi was under the mentorship of IIM Calcutta. And initially they had acute shortage of faculty for various reasons, I'm not going to that. And IIM Calcutta faculty, particularly the retired faculty were used to teach there. So I also went there to teach a couple of courses for a couple of years. So what I found was this, that they, that the toppers in say IIM Rachi were not very much different actually from the toppers in IIM C because, because you see what happens is that your CAT score, you see even if you do a couple of things wrong, I mean yes. you immediately get down to it. So it is quite possible that there are some basically very good materials or very good students but on a bad day. Yes, bad day they have landed up there. So, so I could immediately see in my class, at least there are two, three, which are just as good as any in the IIMC. But then average is certainly lower. I mean, I, I could also immediately feel that when I'm lecturing their, their absorptive capacity or the kind of questions that I'm getting. So there is certainly a difference. But the, another major problem is not so much from the student side, but from the faculty side, that it is very difficult to get say good quality faculty in some of the management disciplines, not in all disciplines maybe, 
but in some of the management disciplines, particularly in marketing, finance, etc., where you can also get good jobs in industry. And there are not that many people who could do their PhDs in marketing, finance, etc. And there are some, but then they would land up in IIM, ABC, and so on. So there is a shortage there. And now you can say, as you were suggesting in some, uh, some other time, that okay, why don't you pay sufficiently high remuneration? Yes, I, was, I, I was going to say that. So let me just repeat what I, yeah. what I have observed. So there was a time in which I wanted to go into academia in the US. I also had a quasi-academic job for more than a decade. So what I found was that, and university, state university salaries are public. Yeah, so you can just go ahead and Google it. If, if you want to look at any professor's salary, you can. And the salaries that professors get, when I say professors, I mean in generically, it could be assistant associate, mm -hmm. is not that, it's not orders of magnitude less than what you would get in industry. Maybe you take a 30K max hit, okay. but that's it. But in India, also having tried to get into Indian academia, it was not a minus, it's like one-tenth the salary, one, one like 20%, 30% of the salary what, you, what the same person would get in industry. And that, I believe, I mean, people are willing to take a salary hit for going into academia. There's a lot of other benefits in going into academia, ability not to have your own boss, to set your own direction, you know, to mentor other people. And people are willing to pay a certain premium for that, but not 80% of their sure. salary for sure. that. Sure. Here, <laughs> perhaps, I mean, First of all, there is a problem that you have UGC scales, etc. So simply you cannot pay different different salaries. Different that, that's one. But even assuming that you could, let's say, there are several other kinds of considerations as I have seen because I have talked to some of the faculty members who are in IIM Rachi. Uh, well, many of them uh, have school-going children, etc. In India, what matters is that there is a huge difference between, you can say, the quality of different kind of different cities or the towns. So they feel that, okay, the child's education is a big problem, getting good doctors is a big problem, or whatever it is. And sometimes even language is a problem for, for some of them. But, but they feel much more comfortable staying in, say, Kolkata, Ahmedabad, or Bangalore, or even could be Lucknow than say Bodh Gaya or there have been several other uh, other places I don't even remember there is someone in Himachal Pradesh which is so see because the connectivity is pretty bad and no, no international airports yeah no no international airports Rachi in that sense was 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 one of the better placed things because at least from Calcutta I could go there within 45 minutes and there were at least two flights in the evening two flights in the morning and all that so so it was, it, was, it was easy for us. But even I was asked to go to uh, teach in Rotak, which someone discouraged me that, oh, you see, first you'll have to go to Delhi and then there'll be a car and then it will take another three hours and then even the, well, the guest house is not good. So all kinds of problems there. So the other kinds of infrastructural issues, there are, you see, education of the children, their, their health benefits, if you're aged, parents, and all. I mean, so all these things taken together also creates a disincentive for some of the people to go to these smaller towns and cities. So, of course, you can say, if I pay them three times salary, that's what I'm saying. Capitalism, you compensate yeah, that by possibly. paying more money, exactly. at least initially, but, till you have a brand and then the brand sure. attracts. Possibly, possibly that would have worked, but under the Indian system, simply that is not possible. Given that scales are UGC determined scale, all the best events you can give them the highest point of one of the professor scale, but you cannot go beyond that. So, so this is the this is the problem. The problem is bureaucracy. The problem is that the UGC scale does not take into account the demands of a free market where yeah. people have a choice. These kind of scales made sense when we were, you know, a, a socialist country in the 80s, where you didn't have a choice, where pretty much everything was regulated. Now, industry salaries are going through the roof. You cannot have in one part of the country total deregulation and in one part of the country the, a legacy of basically, the 80s. Basically, you see, even though you call IIMs, IITs, autonomous institutions, these are basically extensions of government departments in some sense. Because like in government departments also, you have, you have basically scales for your different kind of secretaries, etc. And you cannot change that. 
So the same is true about the faculty members, because these are basically government institutions. I mean, they're not, you know, you see, uh, this, uh, the Hyderabad uh, uh, Indian Business School, possibly they can pay any yes. amount because that's a pure private institution. But IIMs, IITs are not private They don't have that freedom, even if some of these IIMs are actually, at least the top three IIMs, they have their own money. They do not even need government money anymore in most of the cases. I mean, so possibly they, they could afford to pay almost any amount of salary to attract. And nowadays, actually, I mean, I think in IIM, they are now getting a director for the first time. They're getting uh, professors from US business schools as directors for the first time. And they are going there. I'm sure they will be they will be given much 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 higher salaries than they will be than they were giving traditionally to the directors etc otherwise nobody will be going so things are perhaps changing but it will take time i i, I absolutely agree i remember when uh, when arun shuri came to maryland college park and there uh, one of the his 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 talk was on innovation and then somebody stood up and said I want to work for uh, I want to work for some government agency. I think it was DRDU. I'm not sure, but the salary that they would pay me is like ten thousand like ten thousand dollars, the equivalent almost. Here, I've done my PhD. I've done a postdoc. You know, the same logic that I just now said. I'm willing to take a hit because of working in a government. I understand that, but this, and he of course went totally like Sunny Deol on us. And just start saying, you know, you you guys don't care for your country. How can you even think of money? I mean, I can't believe that you're even saying this in front of me. Like my goodness. Uh, of course, it was it was grossly hypocritical of him. But yeah. again, we, we discovered who Oron Shuri is over the years. But that was the first time I realized. Wait, I've read this guy's books, and he didn't seem like this. Why is he talking like this? I, I didn't totally lose my respect then, but I lost about forty percent of my respect after that. Uh, after hearing what he had to say. But I think that this this attitude, I think it was, he really felt it, I, I guess, that if somebody goes to teach or somebody goes to be a doctor, that you, you're kind of obliged. There is this very famous Manoj Kumar scene where the Manoj Kumar comes and says, doctor ne fees mangi hai. Yes. So it's like the doctor asked for money. My God, goodness, what an evil guy he is. So, so even with professors, yes. there is this, there is this, it's, it's a noble profession. Yes. Ergo, they should take a hit and they should live yeah. a life of poverty while everybody else is free to live their life but they're not professors so professors are held up to a higher standard so these things have to change and i think these are ingrained and the, the salary difference is huge in terms of how much you lose in india versus how much you lose in the us even though you lose here too actually uh, this, this this reminds me of the thing you see uh, many years back <laughs> you, you you know i went to australia to to to, to teach for a year and there I met one Australian economist, fairly well-known economist, Max Corden. Huh? Uh, Max Corden, I, I, I met there and he asked me, uh, because at that time, Professor Amartya Sen, Jagadish Bhagavati, and even Professor Punav Bardhan, the next generation, uh, well-known Indian economist, all have left India, and have gone to US and all that. Then Max Corden asked me, I mean, how is it that all very well-known economists are all leaving India and going to US. So, well, I wanted to sound a bit, uh, you see, a little bit apologetic, but at the same time, I said, okay, each had their own personal reasons, etc. No, no, Aloki, what a trade economist. This kind of wage differential, in a free trade, kind of free trade and intellectuals who are allowing, if you allow free trade and intellectuals, and if you allow this kind of wage differential between, say, India or US and many other countries, the best brains will go. I mean, you just simply cannot prevent in, it. In general, that has changed. And, and no, actually, yes. and, 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 and you mentioned about the Australian thing. You said, you see, because Max Corden himself was at Oxford, and they said, now the Australians have increased the salaries very much. And now you see, not only me, many of the Australian professors have now come back to Australia. So, so whatever other reasons are there, ultimately, it is a question yes. of this much wage difference. Yes, I, I agree. And again, in India, in those days, the days that you're talking about, there was wage differential was across everything, anything from a private, for, for, for somebody working in industry to somebody working in the industry in the US. Now, 
the wage differential in terms of industry is virtually no longer there. People get almost dollar dollar to rupee yes, conversions, yes. almost. Uh, in many cases, they might be a little bit twenty percent down, but that's really the difference. And not only that, sometimes if you consider the so-called so parity, they get and, more, and they get a domestic help, etc. Possibly the life is not. No, no they worse. get more, but but in those days, it actually yes. existed. And now it still exists in regulated places like IIMs and IITs, where I believe that this is one of the biggest problems. I mean, there, there are other problems, of course, that I encountered when I was trying mm -hmm. to apply, as you know. Uh, but 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 I think the wage differential is a big is a big thing, and they're not willing to because perhaps their hands are tied, willing to compensate people in some other way. It's just not there, and that's why I understand. But I think, in basically, I, as, as a basic concept, I think that the government should open more centers of excellence. If they want to call it IIT, they want to call it something else. That's fine. But it's time that India, every state, every state had one engineering center of excellence, one management center of excellence, and one medical center of excellence at the minimum. Mm -hmm. There should be obviously investment in liberal arts and everything, but. Forget them. At the very bare minimum, every state should have these three things. And from what I learned, again, I'm not an expert on the European model, but I, I had a discussion with one of my professors who said that the difference between the US model and the, I'm talking about the German model, is that in Germany, pretty much all universities are more or less at the same level. There's not a huge difference in academic standards. There might be some delta, mm -hmm. but it's not huge. In in the US, there is. Oh, yes. There is a lot of, there's a huge difference. Huge difference. There is a huge difference in the brand equity they have. Exactly. But in Germany, it really doesn't matter. Nobody really asks you, where did you do your you know, PhD from? There might be one university in Munich, mm -hmm. but pretty much everything is. Mm -hmm. But in the US, there is this differential because in the US, we've had kind of, they've had a kind of had a hybrid system. So... There has, I mean, the big universities have given a huge salaries, but they've also given people the kind of exposure exactly. that they otherwise would not have. If you want to get a Nobel Prize, there are some universities where you, you go to the university, you have a higher chance of getting a Nobel Prize. And sure. if you go to the University of Chicago, yes. you're more likely yeah. to get it. So, 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 some, so exactly. So, so that's the thing. It's not just money, but there are certain things that you get by being associated with certain universities you wouldn't get at other places. So, okay, it was great having you, Baba. Okay. Uh, this, is, this is a very, at least I learned a lot of things. So, uh, Vikram? So, that's it for today's episode, pretty much. And, Professor, it, it was a pleasure having you and Arnab. I hope we see more of you and uh, more often. Arnab, I'll leave it to you to make sure that, that uh, this happens. Yeah, that will. <laughs> Baba is here for some, uh, for, for, for some weeks now. So, we can definitely do one of these again. We should. We should. And, yeah. Uh, if you're listening to this on the site, do consider downloading the po podcast app so you can head over to talkingstuff.net slash app uh, and you can check out the subscribe tab for help with down downloading a podcast app and uh, subscribing to this. And if you're listening to this on the Anchor app, which I highly recommend, you can also leave a voice message for us right there from the app. Do send in questions to Arnab at uh, appodcast at talkingstuff.net. And Arnab, I believe we have a Ask Arnab coming up this month, right? You had yeah. promised one. Exactly. So my birthday is coming up and I, I want to do this. I want to do that Ask Arnab on my birthday. So. And speaking of birthdays, yeah, that's a good reminder for uh, to check out Arnab's Patreon as well uh, so that he can get himself a good uh, birthday gift. <laughs> All right. Yes, please. You can subscribe to the podcast, uh, uh, like I said, any pretty much everywhere. And uh, you can check out the network on YouTube. You can go to uh, youtube.com slash talkingstuffnet. And uh, on Twitter, uh, with the same handle, Facebook, Instagram, talkingstuffnet. And as for me, I am available on Twitter at the TheVikramohan. So that's, uh, we don't have a what song this week. We promise to make it up uh, next week though. And uh, until then, thanks and bye-bye. Bye-bye.